This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast. This one on a Monday afternoon, July the 26th, 2021. Travis Ryer back again with Charlie Potter. Charlie Potter was up to his elbows in SEC Media Days last week in Hoover, Alabama, of course. So we took a brief respite from our partnership here on the podcast, but always good to have Charlie on board. Charlie, are you fully, fully uh, caffeinated with the Dr. Pepper? Was the Dr. Pepper stand still a thing in Hoover at Media Days? It wasn't a fountain machine, but they had a, um, a cooler. Damn one COVID. Time. COVID, yeah. man. Hey, COVID, hey, ruined, hey. COVID ruined the fountain. Well, you're jumping the Dr. Pepper. You're jumping the gun here because that that cooler with Dr Pepper was loaded now because you can go to the fountain machine sometimes and they'll be out. But yeah, but there's come on Charlie, there's nothing like the fountain version well, of Coca Cola or Dr Pepper. It depends you're on tell, what you're, you're telling me. Your can or bottle guy over fountain guy is that what you're telling me to get this thing going, Charlie? If you let me finish, Travis. Well, I'm not good at that. <laughs> I know the. Now, if you're looking at for a fountain Coca-Cola, nothing tops McDonald's fountain Coca-Cola or Sprite. Really, their entire mm. uh, fountain mm. um, spread. But like nowadays, people are starting to go to those freestyle machines where they have yeah. every flavor in the world, and those are those are trash. I'm gonna be that's oh wow, favorite. those are terrible. Mm. So. Can at least you know what you're going to get, and I, I mean I respect that because I, I mean you and I have seen some of the guys that cover SEC teams. I, I appreciate having a, a can and not sharing a fountain. Oh wow, Charlie coming with the <laughs> just lofting grenades to crank us up. I love it. Go ahead, continue, but I mean continue with the with the cold cans and, and bottles of water. I mean you know you've been to Hoover. It was 50 degrees in that joint, so you're you're just shivering throughout the day because. Your hands are cold and the rest of your body's cold because they keep it as cold as the igloo in there. But no, I mean, plenty of Dr. Pepper. I will say, I, I don't know the gentleman's name that sat beside Kirk and I on the day of uh, Alabama Day, but he came locked and loaded. Now, we got there probably eight o'clock. You know, Nick Saban went in the main uh, room at 9.05, and he had three of those Dr. Pepper cherries ready to go at eight in the morning. So wow. people definitely took advantage of it. But with that in mind, I mean, they kept it. They kept it loaded. They kept it stocked. So I can appreciate that. It was it was only Dr. Pepper. They had Dr. Pepper, Diet Dr. Pepper, whatever the sugar-free Dr. Pepper's called, Dr. Pepper Cherry. There was no mm-hmm. variation of maybe like a – what do they usually have, like a sun kiss or something like that. Right. So if you don't like Dr. Pepper, 
you got water or you got nothing. But uh, SEC media days, you know it's going to be cold. You pack a jacket and you expect to, yeah, you, you expect to almost overdose on Dr. Pepper at those events. And I guess they keep it so cold because of the TV aspect of things. It's almost become really a TV studio, the the event um, with, with with the big setup, you know, for SEC media days. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like all I'm doing right now is complaining uh, to begin this podcast. But you know how the main media room's set up, yeah. uh, especially since they acquired the SEC network. When you go in the room, all of the chairs are facing to your right, so they're facing the main stage. So you walk toward the back, and then at the far back left of the room is the SEC network stage. And you know, they'll you can see the the coaches go there. There's the SEC now or whatever shows on, uh, Feinbaum shows there. And, you know, that's where it's been. But this year, I don't know what it was. I guess it's because the the player interviews were done at the podium and they're not scattered around the room and you just scrum around the table and you don't really pay attention to it. But the players went just like the coaches this year. They're up at the front and then, you you know, you raise your hand, somebody brings a mic and you, you know, do the whole bit. And while the, the coaches were speaking, it was, you know, quiet as a mouse in that place unless somebody cracked a joke and then everybody did the joint media laugh that's always cringy. But <laughs> <laughs> when the players were up there, the SEC network crew just started yelling. Like they were just – it was like their microphones didn't work and they were just yelling at each other. So it definitely the TV aspect is king. Of course, you know I know we're going to talk about it, but that's that has a lot to do with this expansion talk. I, I get it, but it, it was kind of annoying this week in Hoover. You know, you can blame Nick Saban for all this crap, man. <laughs> this big SEC network, this big presence at SEC Media Days, even this Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC talk. Uh, Charlie, I think you got to blame Nicholas Lou Saban Jr. I mean, think about the SEC in the last 13, 14 years if Nick Saban isn't in the league, A, and B, he's not in the league at Alabama. Uh, you know, look, this was inevitable, super conferences, things like that, especially from a football perspective. And you consider OU and Texas in that regard with the existing SEC. Uh, but Nick Saban. You know, you either credit him, you're either, if you're happy about it, you're crediting Nick Saban a good bit with everything that's going down and continues to go down, or you're, you're cursing his name right now. Yeah, I mean, the, the success of the conference, especially from where Alabama stands, and Nick Saban is, is to blame, or blame might not be the best word, but credit, blame, yeah, yeah one of the two. That's where it is. It, it, you, you said it right, whichever side of the fence that you sit on. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's kind of a shame that – well, first of all, painting the picture of Wednesday whenever this report initially dropped that you know Texas and Oklahoma had reached out to the SEC, the timing of it was perfect because it was probably about 10 or so minutes, maybe 15 minutes right. before Jimbo Fisher came up on the main stage. But Nick Saban – had done all of his media at that point. I don't think Nick Saban got a single question about that because he was already done. So um, that was kind of a shame because he's going to give an answer that you expect. But like a lot of people have pointed out, Nick Saban isn't getting a lot of depth chart questions in that main media room or even in the electronic media room. He's getting the broader college football landscape pick, um, questions because he is kind of the, the go-to in terms of opinions and, and what people – you know what he says. A lot of people want to know from a fan perspective and from a, a journalist perspective. So it's a shame that he wasn't asked about that because somebody, you know, depending on who asked, could have said it just like you did. You know, some people view that you're accredited with the success of the league, and some people are 
crediting you or blaming you for you know going this route into the 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 college football aspect the sec aspect going more toward maybe a pro model so um i'm sure he'll get that you know in a couple of weeks whenever fall camp rolls around but uh it's a shame he didn't get to be asked about that in hoover yeah and what's funny about it is on most of the issues in which the game or collegiate athletics is evolving he's typically what's wrong with what we got guy you know he's not a proponent for pushing the playoff forward to super conferences to uh, you know, rule changes or things in, in the sport itself that maybe tilt towards more of the offensive side of the ball or one side of the ball uh, specifically, but he's a guy who continues to adapt and the money, right? The money had just continued to reach a point where uh, that's where the SEC currently sits is the top power broker. Big 10 listeners cover your ears right here. Okay. It's the SEC. One. All right. I know you like to jump out in front of things. And a year ago at this time, you were telling us you are going to play football at all in 2020. And then the SEC said, well, we're going to keep moving forward. The ACC, uh, the Big 12, the uh, not the Pac-12. The Pac-12, of course, uh, followed the lead as as you would expect of the Big 10. But, um, you know, it's the SEC right now. And so when you consider the SEC media days and we talked about this before we hit record how two of the major storylines, if not the biggest storylines from the week were really about teams when they weren't in Hoover, like Alabama with the Bryce young NIL comments from Nick and Texas on Tuesday before he showed up on Wednesday. And of course this, uh, this Oklahoma, Texas talk there were, there were still some good stuff, I guess, some interesting stuff to come from the, the four days. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that because I did a radio interview out in Arizona, I believe on Thursday afternoon. So really, when I was done when, in Hoover, and the only things I was asked about is the the NIL deal with Bryce Young and expansion. Nothing that happened in Hoover, and you know it wasn't just you know bombardment of news coming from Nick Saban and Alabama's players. But I thought there were plenty of you know, interesting things said. Um, it, granted, he was asked about. You know, the the little nugget he dropped out in Texas, and I don't think he did that on accident, talking about Bryce Young and, you know, the fact that he's nearing uh, seven figures in terms of name, image, and likeness compensation. Um, You know, but he also talked about, you know, the COVID-19 vaccine, and that was a popular topic. It's something that, you know, some coaches strayed away from, and and Nick Saban just straight up said that they're close to to 90% vaccinated in terms of players, and and that's what you want to hear if you're an Alabama fan. And, um, you know, he he even kind of dropped a rare depth chart nugget talking about JV on Cohen on the offensive line and him being a a starter at left guard. So um, while it wasn't just the most newsworthy time for Nick Saban and Hoover. He was the talk of SEC media days on Tuesday, as soon as that story from you know, Texas dropped, because Lane Kiffin had some great sound bites reacting to, to Bryce Young's you know, potential uh, NIL deals. And then again, I mean, like you said, with the, the expansion talk, I mean, Alabama's either to credit or blame for that because of the success that Nick Saban's had in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, it starts with that. I mean, not to say it's it's Alabama and the the 13 dwarfs, but it all stems back to what Nick Saban has done in Tuscaloosa 
over the last decade and a half. And I was interested, too, you sort of touched on this a minute ago about we hadn't heard from Nick Saban on name, image, and likeness. Uh, We hadn't heard from Nick Saban, at least of late, on the uh, vaccination uh, topic where COVID-19 is concerned with this Delta variant now. And uh, very interesting, I thought, uh, Greg Sankey to open the event early last week, essentially put out there the possibility, perhaps anyway, that from what we saw a season ago where the league bent over backwards to try to facilitate teams, football teams, uh, as they were dealing with the virus in season, uh, not as much wiggle room, it sounds like, from the league office in Birmingham this time around. No, it definitely sounds like they're pushing you know, for for people to get vaccinated. Of course, you can't necessarily mandate that. And, and Alabama hasn't. And that's one thing that Nick Saban and the players you know, made clear is that the, from the players' perspective, they know that the coaching staff and Nick Saban have made it a personal choice. And, you know, Nick Saban reiterated that up on the main stage. But at the same time, they're, they're close to 90%, and that threshold's 85%. You know, we heard from Nick Saban you know, back in early June at the Knicks Kids uh, Charity Golf Tournament, and he said they were getting close to that 85 mark. So they've, they've consistently made strides in, in terms of that. But, yeah, I mean, it's a situation where, you know, it, it's going to be different. They're, the SEC wants to see you know, people get vaccinated. They don't want to have any kind of uh, interruptions, maybe like they did last year. So that was definitely – uh, a main talking point. And then, you know, what Nick Saban said about NIL, it was really the first time we've heard from him you know, since July 1st and the, the floodgates kind of opened uh, in terms of that. But he really didn't have anything, um, I guess, noteworthy to say. I think he took the right approach in saying that, you know, ask him this qu- same question next year at SEC Media Days or, you know, a few months down the road. And what he says now might be wrong because everybody, you know, it's fresh and new to everybody. They're still learning. I'm, I know Alabama has really you know been on top of things you know they shared their guidelines they seem feasible and you know the players haven't done anything too crazy we don't know everything that Bryce Young has done to 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 earn nearly a million dollars but you know they've they've all seemed to be in the realm of you know what Alabama put forward but it is new for everyone it hasn't been maybe the onslaught that we expected to see coming out the gates i've, I've kept up with these and you know, they're all pretty tame uh, on the on the surface at the very least but you know, it, it's still something everybody's trying to learn. And I think, you know, it, this probably isn't the last time we'll hear, hear Nick Saban be asked about NIL because it's going to be an evolving and, and changing thing down the road. Did Mechie and Fedarian Mathis, the two player reps for Alabama, were they pretty much stock in how they answered the question or questions about NIL? Um, yeah, pretty much. You know, I, I think a lot of people are trying to stir the pot some, to some degree and asking about Bryce Young specifically because he has, you know, arguably the, the biggest uh, conversation of anybody out there. And he hasn't even started a game for Alabama. And with that in mind, does that, you know, cause animosity or even jealousy in Alabama's locker room? And, and nobody really, you know, bit into that or, um, you know, took the bait there. Um, yeah, I think both of them were. Well, first of all, Fedarian Mathis is a fifth-year senior. He's been through plenty of media training, and you know he he answered about like you would expect him to. And and John Mechie was even a little bit more open in terms of answering things because in the past he's kind of taken that approach of not answering questions about individuals and talking about the team. But they were relaxed, both of them, and and I think that was a big thing for the NIL 
questions is it wasn't awkward or anything like that. And um, I think they both did a pretty good job in that regard. Yeah, you would think Bryce Young wired in a way in which he gets it. You know, if that number is, in fact, in that seven-figure range and knowing he still has a ton to prove uh, because there are still questions about him as much physically and his size as as anything else. But, uh, yeah, but I will say this. If I'm a 2022 recruit and I'm coming to Tuscaloosa on official visit this fall, I want Bryce Young as my host, man. <laughs> this cat's got seven figures. He's my host. You know, that's who I'm that's who I'm requesting for my my visit. Hey, um, did Nick Saban shade Scott Cochran during that Q&A? Or was that just a honest assessment about where Alabama was at in terms of strength and conditioning and how they've kind of come out the other side more in the area of what we refer to nowadays, Charlie, as sports performance, sports science, I guess. Well, honestly, I felt anytime Nick Saban talks about David Ballou and, and Dr. Ray, he has kind of thrown <laughs> a little shade at Scott Cochran because he always prefaces it with you know, some they, shrapnel. Yeah, yeah, a little shrapnel. He, he talks about how they had been wanting to make a change. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I know some of the people that, that don't cover the team on a daily basis, they hear that and they're like, oh, wow. You know, they, he's talking about. You know, this has been in the works for a while now, and, and he's he said that a lot. You know, he said that in the interviews right after they they made the hires, and um, you know, he's had nothing but good things to say about uh, Blue and Ray, the players, the same way. But you know, this is whenever he kind of drops some some numbers and talking about how their soft tissue injuries were down you know, about fifty percent, and he talked about the increase in explosive movement because they are doing um, you know workouts differently. They're not necessarily um, you know. They're not running um, the way that they used to. They, they eliminated some of the testing that they did. So it's definitely a change, I think, one that's welcomed and one that Nick Saban wanted. And again, I mean, you can see just in how players you know, share things on social media. You can see how Dr. Ray shares things on social media. The players love them and, and what they brought to the table. And it was not surprising in his latest um, you know, media availability that he had glowing reviews about these two. Yeah, it, I thought it was very revealing. And as you talked about and hit on earlier, uh, he was asked specifically about Henry Tillotoa coming in from Tennessee. I thought some interesting remarks there, more so in terms of Henry as a potential signal caller, what he brings in terms of football IQ and certainly his experience the last couple of years at Tennessee and how much he's been on the field has to be a big part of that. It it got me to wondering about how that one-two punch, assuming it is Toa Toa and Christian Harris, obviously Jalen Moody right there in that mix, how they might utilize those two guys. Because if Henry's at that level uh, of being trusted with making the calls and the checks, uh, we've talked so much about Christian Harris making the move to Mike. I guess they've got the luxury of an either-or there. And again, with Moody in that mix as well. Yeah, I think luxury is a key word there because, you know, I think it was back in the spring that someone asked Nick Saban about Christian Harris and whether he was going to play the mic or maybe both. And he said that he can do both. And he mentioned um, Moody. He mentioned Shane Lee as guys that can play the mic as well. Um, so I think there is some position uh, flexibility and versatility for, for a lot of those inside linebackers. And you know, it, when you think about it, you know, Henry Toto is coming from the Tennessee program and working under a guy in Jeremy Pruitt where it's probably not that big of a transition coming from Tennessee to Alabama. There's probably a lot of the same terminology. Um, 
there's a lot of similarities. It's not going to be the same exact defense, of course, but it, it won't be like he's coming from a completely different system uh, and then stepping in and having to learn a, a whole new um, defense, really. So I think that's a, a benefit. But then, you know, it, it says a lot about, um, you know, Christian Harris that he can do the same. But he's a guy that was thrown into the fire as a true freshman playing the linebacker position for the first time in his life. And he made progress over the course of that freshman season. I think he's gotten more and more comfortable as he's been in the program. But then if you can maybe put a guy like Henry Toa Toa at the mic and make him the signal caller, which he's done at Tennessee, that takes a little bit of pressure off of Christian Harris, who's just had to shoulder more and more as his career has gone on. And then we've seen, you know, when Dylan Moses is healthy and on, that lets Christian Harris just run wild. And when he can do that, he's making plays left and right. So I think it could be a benefit for Alabama. But again, like you said, they have the luxury of they can play both of those guys at either spot. And I think they'd feel good about it. And then you also have Jalen Moody who can play either spot because we saw him step in for Christian Harris in that Arkansas game. We heard Nick Saban say that he can play the mic. So, yeah, I think they're in a good spot at inside linebacker. But hearing what he had to say about Henry and the fact that he can be kind of that quarterback type on defense, I think says a lot about what they think of him and the addition he has on that offense. We talked about it before too, uh, the potential for both those guys to be every down guys because of the versatility they have uh, with Christian Harris and some different things they can do. And some, even some dime looks with both those guys on the field. You talked about JV and Cohen, the second year offensive lineman, you know, I, I thought it was it was very revealing what Nick Saban had to say when he was asked about JV and Cohen and also Christian Story, the second year safety. But we go into fall camp anticipating a competition at both left guard and right tackle. And certainly that'll still be the case. Nick Saban wasn't just handing the keys to JV and Cohen at left guard, but I thought that was about as close as you get kind of like Bryce young, even back in the spring when talking about the quarterback situation. But if it does prove to be the case, it could be that you know, there's just the the situation at, at right tackle to figure out. Although I guess you still think of Cohen as a guy that if you had to, uh, you could play him outside as well. Yeah, there is a lot of versatility and options on that offensive line, but you know, Nick Saban is not really one when it comes to personnel and you know who's going to be where that speaks in absolutes, but it was about as close as you can get. You're right. And he said, he talked about how, um, you know, Cohen's developed nicely and he's, he kind of tiptoed around. He's like, probably most likely will be a starter. <laughs> and so, and that's as, that's as close as you're going to get from Nick Saban in mid July, talking about a guy like that. And yeah, you know, I think you've seen what happened in the spring. It makes a lot of sense because Cohen worked there pretty consistently because Emil Ekior was out, so you had him and, and Tommy Brown. And with Ekior back, you just think it would be, you know, Evan Neal at left tackle. Now Nick Saban says that he would probably be um, a starter at left guard. JV and Cohen would be. You have Chris Owens at center, and then Emil Ekior at right guard. And he's there to maybe bring along a younger guy uh, or a less experienced guy at right tackle. And you have a bunch of options there. You know, Nick Saban also talked about the right tackle position and a couple of guys there just in terms of uh, J.C. Latham, the true freshman, and Damian George. I think those are two options. Um, you know, Kendall Randolph, a guy that's played a lot of football at Alabama, could probably be the starter for game one, but maybe not deeper into the season. 
You also have to take into account Tommy Brockermeyer, another five-star they brought in uh, this year. So they have options, but um, it sounds like a lot of options at, at one position because, you know, barring something unforeseen, it looks like Javian Cohen is going to be a starter at guard. One of the best five, I guess you could say, uh, in some form or fashion. But uh, interesting stuff. Javian Cohen, of course, we saw him in the 8A game working with the ones there at left guard with Evan Neal to his left and Chris Owens to his right at the center position. Going to take a quick break here on the Bama Online podcast. When we come back, we'll talk with Charlie about the predicted order of finish for the SEC football season as voted on by the assembled media in Hoover, Alabama. Also, the Alabama player or players that we didn't see on the preseason All-SEC team. There were 16, so they pretty much covered it, I think. But is there a guy or two that wasn't listed on those first, second, or third teams who we think very well might be by season's end? We'll also talk some basketball, some big news since we last met, Charlie and myself, where Alabama and Jaden Shackelford is concerned. We're going to have to redo those way too early starting fives, I guess, Charlie, but We'll do all that and more when the Bama Online podcast returns right after this. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Back with more of the Bama Online Podcast, Travis Ryer and Charlie Potter back with you on a Monday afternoon. We have revisited SEC Media Days 2021, some of the more interesting topics, both from the 10,000-foot viewpoint, but also more specific to the Alabama Crimson Tide in advance of the 2021 season. Charlie, as we get back into it here, the SEC predicted order of finish for both the Eastern and Western divisions, your overall champion. I would say not too much of a surprise there. I thought there was some intrigue, more so with the East once you got beyond Florida and Georgia, how that might lay out. And then on the Western side, I was interested to see if it would in fact be Texas A&M in that number two spot behind Alabama or would LSU be in there? Um, how did you sort of anticipate that playing out and did it go about the way you thought? The West I think is exactly how uh, I voted with Alabama one, A&M two, LSU three, then Ole Miss, Auburn, Arkansas, and Mississippi state. The, the East was a little tougher. Um, I think I had Missouri three, Kentucky four and really that that's maybe a coin toss and then at the bottom um, you could you could make a case for South Carolina ahead of Tennessee just because of everything that Tennessee lost this offseason uh, and then you know you expect Vanderbilt to be at the bottom but for me just just seeing some of these teams that got uh, first place votes for SEC champion was was pretty funny uh, Kentucky and South Carolina getting one each. Um, I'm sure that's just someone that doesn't give a damn about doing these preseason ballots or maybe somebody looking to be funny. But I think at the end of the day, the how, how it played out was about how you would expect. You, you know that, um, 
you know, Alabama and Georgia are likely going to be uh, the top two teams, even though I think there were some people wondering maybe if, if A&M, uh, you know, got some love ahead of Alabama. I, I didn't vote that way. I don't know if many others did. But um, I think at the end of the day that people were wondering maybe if Georgia would get the nod as SEC champion. Uh, Alabama received almost 40 votes more. So, you know, that's that's how that went. But I, I think that, you know, with how it shaped out is about what you would expect. You know, the SEC, when they put this out, they always, you know, talk about or they mention, you know, how many times the uh, predicted champion prior to the season and went on to win the SEC championship game since 1992, and it's only been eight times. So uh, we're we're not that great, I guess, at predicting this. But you know, for me, when it comes to this these offseason things, you know, I know we broke down um, you know, Alabama's opponents for the upcoming season and did some way too early predictions. You know, we talked about just the success that Nick Saban's had in this program. It's tough just not to pick Alabama at this point. They've earned that. I know they have to replace a lot on offense, but with what they've done, the success and the consistency, it's tough not to pick them. You know, we had the 247sports.com predictions that we were asked to make for the network, and I did that. At least I thought I did. It was kind of a Google Doc, and I struggled with that, so all apologies (laughs) to Brandon Marcello. Uh, But I know I made the attempt. I know I did that. And so – in those predicted order, in that predicted order of finish, we were pretty much, I think, dead on in terms of the Eastern Division. I had Missouri ahead of Kentucky as well as the third team in the East, Kentucky four. And then, as you said, just draw them out of a hat. Once you get to Tennessee, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt, which is the order I went with there. Uh, in the West, I'm driving that LSU train as the number two team in the Western Division. Been driving it for a while. I know when you look at it in terms of just schedule, LSU with the tougher task in that it has to travel to Tuscaloosa, whereas A&M gets Alabama and College Station on October the 9th. But I bought the uh, I bought the roster of LSU over A&M's by just a little bit. I did have Ole Miss fourth, and I did go Auburn fifth in the West with Mississippi State six for me, Arkansas seven. Yeah, Alabama as the SEC champion. And so when we talk about all SEC teams, the Crimson Tide with a league high, Charlie, 16 selections there where the first, second, and third teams were concerned. Um, Wow. You just look at the first team and you're still talking about three, four, five, six, seven, eight first teamers for Alabama. Two on offense, John Mechie, Evan Neal, uh, the wide receiver and offensive lineman. Fedarian Mathis with a first-team nod on defense for Alabama up front. Will Anderson, Christian Harris, Henry Toa at the linebacker level. DBs, Josh Job, Malachi Moore. Um, as I guess we expected, more of a defensive presence uh, for Alabama on this preseason All-SEC squad than maybe some of the, the last few years. Yeah, the the defense and just in terms of the first team selections was was a bit surprising. Um, you know, it's, it's tough not to pick some of these guys. I think I had Christian Harris, Will Anderson, uh, Josh Job, and, and Jordan Battle on my ballot. Jordan Battle was a second team selection, but it's a it's an experienced defense, and um, I, I think a lot of people are starting to to realize that and to see maybe. You know what Alabama has, and then you add a guy in, in Henry Toa Toa, who's been an All SEC caliber player at, at Tennessee the last two seasons. So 
not a, a huge shock. Um, I will say, I know some people were you know wondering why Bryce Young wasn't on the list, and there, the the voting, um, I guess page or whatever they have, um, they have the players listed, and sometimes that's according to what Alabama says or just what somebody thinks. Um, so you can't just add whoever you want. You couldn't go add Alabama's entire roster. There's a, a list of players to pick from, and, and Bryce Young wasn't on there. So that's why he wasn't um, one of the, the three uh, all-SCC quarterbacks. But, um, you know, for the most part, it, it's not surprising to see Alabama lead the way um, and, you know, to see the, the defensive side of the ball, you know, be so uh, highly considered. And, uh, you know, this will be a, a little bit different. It'll come to the end of the season, and I know we're going to talk about that. But at the end of the day, you know, it, a lot of people pick Alabama. It's the easy thing to do, especially whenever you're sitting there on Thursday and the deadline's approaching. You just have to put this together. Really talented the league when it comes to the tight end position. So not a surprise to see Jalil Billingsley as the second teamer on this preseason team. Emil Echior, the guard, also a second teamer. LeBrian Ray. The injury play career to this point for LeBron, he is a second team defensive lineman, Jordan Battle, second team defensive back, Will Reichard coming off a perfect season, kicking the football. Another strong year for kickers in the league, too. So I know a lot of Alabama fans will see Will Reichard second team, and I get it. The guy was perfect, but uh, the SEC continues to, to put out a, a large number of really good kickers. On an annual basis, third team, Brian Robinson there with the third team offense at the running back position. Then defensively, DJ Dale, Christopher Allen also on that third team at linebacker. So 16 in all, Charlie. So let's talk about offense and considering between these three teams, you had Alabama with only five total players. And I say only because, again, after these last couple of three or four years, you kind of grown accustomed to more than that type of total. Give me an offensive player for Alabama. I know one obvious one that, uh, that you think will be a postseason SEC all SEC type player that didn't show up on this preseason list. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I mentioned him. It has to be Bryce young. Now you can look at maybe an offensive lineman, uh, but if, if, Brian Robinson isn't on this list. It's because they spread the the ball around at the running back position. I don't know if they, you know, go uh, running back by committee. If another guy gets a nod, maybe a guy like Jace McClellan, that's going to be tough. At wide receiver, um, it's tough to get maybe two from the same school on the same list. So, you know, John Mechie being the number one guy at his position, you think that he would maybe be a lock and you know, the number two guy would be maybe on the outside looking in. But it, it has to be the quarterback because he's not on here. And, um, you know, Alabama's quarterbacks the last several seasons have been or have put up big numbers. And, you know, if, if the offensive line can come together, if some of these wide receivers can, can step up and be consistent and Bryce plays to his potential, I mean, he's a guy that could definitely end up on an all-SEC list and maybe even an all-American list at the end of the season. Yeah, that's the – that's the choice that, that you would tend to lean to is Bryce Young uh, as a top three quarterback in the league by the end of the season. I guess I'll throw some love to the uh, super senior, Chris Owens. Uh, I'll go Chris Owens at the center position. Maybe we'll see Chris have a strong final campaign and at Alabama and, and be rewarded with uh, some sort of all-SEC nod. So 
It's hard though on offense because there are so many unproven's. There's a lot of talent at wide receiver, but you just try to pick one of that group uh, right now. It's difficult. Maybe Javon Baker does come on and do some great things. Maybe it's a Jai Hall as a true freshman to go along with John Mechie. But as you said, the precious slots there at that wide receiver position on these teams to consider as well. What about defense, Charlie? Uh, covered a lot of guys on these three teams, but probably still some room for another couple of guys to show up at postseason. Yeah, I mean, the, the linebacking core is covered. You have both outside linebackers and uh, both inside linebackers. And then defensive line-wise, um, you know, Fidere Mathis, LeBron Ray, DJ Dale, there's some guys that can maybe you know appear on this list, whether it's uh, Tim Smith, Justin Boygby, Byron Young. Uh, they have a good six or so deep on that defensive line, but they have three on the list. So for me, it, it has to be a defensive back. And we've seen Jordan Battle, Josh Joe, Malachi Moore were represented. So um, I, I won't take your guy because I know how high you are on uh, a certain safety. So I, I'll go with maybe a Jalen Armour Davis because we've seen um, you know what happens to the corner with less experience in in this defense. He gets targeted more than say the number one corner. You know Josh Job got some more passes his way because he played opposite Patrick Sertan. Now Josh Job is the known commodity. Maybe they take advantage of the first year starter in Jalen Armour Davis, and that's you know assuming he holds on to this position. Maybe it's a guy like Kool Aid McKinstry who has a strong preseason camp and, and earns a starting job. I think right now if they played today, Jalen Armour Davis would be the starter at corner. So I guess it's Jalen Armour Davis slash whoever starts opposite Josh Joe. But I think that second corner you know, has a good shot. I appreciate you leaving DeMarco Ellums, <laughs> not having DeMarco Ellums in your mouth, Charlie. I appreciate that. As probably the founding member of the DeMarco Ellums fan club. And we know that hasn't always worked well for Alabama players uh, in the past. So, but uh, no, I, I think – yeah, Ellums has a chance there at safety to have a huge year. Um, you know, otherwise, I would probably go Tim Smith next. I know you talked about him. Uh, but I think if DJ Dale is able to to get through 12, 13, 15 games in relatively good health, it, it could be a big year for DJ Dale as well. Now, if we're just talking about numbers that turn heads where voters are concerned for stuff like this, Tim Smith has that potential uh, to do that as a interior uh, disruptive force for Alabama on that defensive line. Now, we talk about awards and things of that nature. We talked about watch list season. It's in full effect. Charlie, it seems like daily now you're updating us and you keep that running tally for us there at BamaOnline.com. No shortage of new additions to some of the more prominent individual awards in the sport. No, I mean, they announce one or two every morning. And uh, I think there's only been a few that an Alabama player hasn't been on. The Davey O'Brien uh, Award didn't have Bryce Young, but they have a stipulation where you have to have started at least one game. So, you know, brand new uh, quarterbacks aren't on the list, so that's why he's not on there. I'm sure he'll show up midseason. And then I don't believe they had anyone on the Remington Trophy watch list, which goes to the uh, nation's uh, top center. So everyone else has been well represented. You know, this morning, you had the Jim Thorpe Award and the Buckus Award, and Jordan Battle and, and Josh Job were both there. 
um, the Buckus Award. He had a trio of linebackers with Christopher Allen, Will Anderson, and Christian Harris. And you know, Will Anderson and, and Josh Job they've they've been well represented uh, the last two weeks. I think Josh Job was uh, up for well, both Job and Anderson were up for the Chuck Benaric Award. Um, you've had the Maxwell Award with John Mechie and Brian Robinson. Both of those guys were up for individual honors as well with the Doak Walker for Robinson and the Blitnikoff for John Mechie. Those go to the top running back and the top wide receiver, respectively. And then we mentioned him a little earlier, Jalil Billingsley was up for the John Mackey Award, which goes to the nation's top tight end. You still have four days left in this week. I think you have uh, about seven or so. Awards still left out there. That includes the Outland Trophy, the Nagurski Trophy, um, you know, the Lou Groza Award. I'm sure Will Reichard will get some love there. But Alabama should, you know, it should be another, you know, busy couple of days just in terms of these watch lists. Charlie, no James Burnett on that Ray Guy Award watch list as of yet, the Australian punter. Uh, we're not just going to go ahead and, and give him some, some punting. I mean, if you're from Australia, I thought it was like automatic. They just threw you on the Ray Guy Award watch list at this point. Maybe I would be surprised, but um, you know, I, honestly, I think if they picked an Alabama player, they might go Jack Martin just because of what he's already done right. at Troy. Uh, but I, I think if you know Wednesday, that's the kicker day with the Lou Groza and the Ray Guy. I think Alabama will just have one player there. <laughs> I'd, I'd be surprised if any other way. Oh man, that'll be interesting. We haven't talked about the punting situation, but. Uh, I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit more as we get closer to the season. Hey, Charlie, we also need to talk some college basketball. We like to talk college basketball here on the podcast. You know, we continued to throw the caveat out there with Jaden Shackelford while the anticipation, the expectation was that he was likely on the move. There was still the possibility of Jaden Shackelford returning to Alabama for his junior campaign and lo and behold, Charlie, that's exactly the way it looks like it's played out. Jaden Shackelford back in the mix for Nate Oates and that UA men's basketball staff. What does that do to your, your way too early starting five? Charlie? (laughs) Yeah, it it probably alters things a a little bit, Um, but I think it's good news for, for Nate Oates and company, because if, if Shaq wasn't coming back, you'd have to replace your entire starting lineup from last year. And that's never easy to do, even though I think Alabama and, and Oates and his staff have done a great job of retooling the roster and, and adding some, some really talented players. But with Shackelford, I mean, he comes back as your uh, returning leading scorer. I don't know if maybe he'll be that this fall just because you have some other mouths to feed that are you know elite scorers. You have Javon Quinterly coming back after a year where he got really comfortable in this system. You have a five-star talent in J.D. Davison. Uh, you're coming in. You add in Amari Burnett from Texas Tech, who is known to be a shooter. He didn't necessarily do that in his first year at Texas Tech, but Oates and his staff have had rave reviews about the way that he's performed. Uh, you have Keon Ellis, who I think played really well down the stretch for Alabama. So there, there's a lot of mouths to feed at the guard position. And um, I, I think that, you know, say – the season started today. Um, Shaq would probably be in the starting lineup, even though he, he. it's worth noting that right now he hasn't been in workouts with the team. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe he doesn't have that continuity as some of the others have started to, to build because Alabama's put out a, a clip or two of just some workouts they've done. And you can see, by the way, the thing that stands out is when you see Quinterly and Davis and go against each other, that looks like an elite matchup. 
and those two are going to be fun to watch. It's it's a good problem to have, though. You want to have a guy like Shaq who's been in the program for two years, who's been um, a guy that has shown he can lead the team in scoring. You get him back, you know, that just bolsters your roster. And Alabama's set now with 13 players, even though you're going to have um, you're going to be without James Rojas for an extended period of time. I still think that the NATOs and the staff are, are happy to have him back for sure. Some excellent news for the Alabama athletic department in general on Monday afternoon, as it is honored by CBS sports as the best in college sports for the 2020, 2021 athletic calendar year, Alabama, the first SEC athletic department to take the award from CBS Sports. I guess just, again, a culmination of just a tremendous year uh, on the field, on the court, uh, you name it, for Alabama athletics. And uh, it'll be very interesting now to see if the athletic department can sustain that run. I guess something else we can at least partially credit to Nick Saban as well. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and I do think that, you know, the job that, that Greg Byrne has done is, you know, he's made some hires that have made this possible. I mean, look at the season the men's basketball team had last year. You know, they won the regular season in the SEC tournament championships. Um, softball obviously has been right there. Uh, the track and field programs are, are making strides. So are swimming and diving. Um, you have gymnastics, um, you know, who's right there. I believe they won the SEC championship last year too. So you have a national champion in the football team, but you have other you know, league champions across your athletic programs. And I think, I think going back and, and trying to remember what the release said, I think 13 uh, Alabama teams ended the season in the top 25 nationally. I think that's right. And uh, that, that says a lot. I think that's a, a consistent um, athletic program, and you know, you see teams, you know, from uh, I guess universities uh, from the Pac-12 and maybe you know the Big Ten, the Big Twelve that that uh, boast this. But you know, Alabama and teams in the SEC, they're being more well-rounded athletic programs. Football is always going to be king down here, but when Greg Byrne and guys like that are are doing what they're doing, you know, they're starting to build up some of the other programs, and it's good to see. Yep, absolutely. Tremendous work by everyone involved at UA. Um, you know, just a, uh, again, a, just a heck of a year. And speaking of folks with UA affiliations who've had a pretty good Monday, I'd say, Charlie, just seeing this with Jonathan Allen and his new deal with the Washington football team, I guess they're still referred to, uh, up there in D.C. When you look at uh, Jonathan Allen, his new deal, Four years, $72 million, $30 million guaranteed, according to Ian Rappaport of NFL.com. I guess the next happiest guy might be Deron Payne because he's got to be next up there, right, when it comes to big money and defensive linemen? Yeah, I mean, Washington has a really good defensive front. I mean, everybody talks about Chase Young, but those guys in the middle you know, make life easy for him, and that's Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne. So, yeah, I mean, it, it wouldn't be a shock at all to see Deron Payne up next, but, but good for Jonathan Allen. You know, he's a guy that was first-round draft pick. You don't hear a ton from him, but, you know, as a guy that keeps up with these uh, or their stats on a weekly basis, 
you see him getting sack after sack after sack. He's making a, an impact on the defensive line. Um, you know, he, he's almost having that Dalvin Tomlinson like role where he doesn't get enough appreciation, but he's certainly, you know, doing his part and contributing to that defense. And that's really what Washington hangs its hat on is this defense. And maybe more importantly, it's um, defensive front. And I know he's a big part of that. It's, it's good to see him get paid. Yeah. Deron Payne had that fifth year option by Washington exercised. And so that will take him through 2022 and will pay him eight and a half million fully guaranteed for that season. But it will be interesting to see if the franchise, even before that point, decides to go ahead and do something more long term with Deron Payne. But a great, great day for Jonathan Allen. Congratulations to him. Life changing money, life changing opportunity for so many of these Alabama alums that have passed through the Crimson Tide football program. Charlie, that's just about going to do it. I think we're caught up. You know, we skipped a week, so we had some catching up to do. Yeah, I will say Alabama did announce uh, its homecoming game and some of its Uh, recognition schedule. And Uh uh, it. I guess, you know, if you're an Alabama fan, you can have some fun with this because Alabama's homecoming game is going to be against Tennessee on October 23rd. I think I think it's the first time that's happened since the 30s. And, mm. uh, you know, mm. it's, it's pretty funny. There. Well, you then, won 14 straight. You know, why not? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the next uh, the next home game up against LSU on November 6th, they're going to recognize the 2011 national championship team and of course that was the, the game they won over lsu but they're also going to recognize the the men's basketball team for the sec championship and their ring presentation because of course alabama beat lsu in that too so there's some fun there and uh, in that kind of at the bottom alabama announced that um preseason camp is going to start up august the 6th um you know we've been reporting august the 5th but i guess that's the day that players report there's just a formality with that so they'll start practice the next day on that friday and there will be no fan day this year. Mm. No word in terms of if people are going to be allowed to, to watch maybe an open practice or, hell, if we're going to be able to watch an open practice. Yeah. But no run into the gumps. Sad to see it go. Yeah. Yeah. Tough times. Tough times for those autograph seekers. But uh, not not totally uh, a surprise either uh, for a couple different reasons. But um, good to have camp upon us. Uh, should be a lot of fun. Certainly, we're going to have it covered start to finish right there at BamaOnline.com. Charlie doing a great job for us as he's done for several years now. Uh, The legendary Kirk McNair, a big part of our team coverage as well. And of course yours truly. So we look forward to that. And as we know, you will know at BamaOnline.com for Charlie Potter, Travis Ryder, thanking you once again for joining us here on the Bama online podcast. We'll catch up again real soon. Hello everyone, it's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.